Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Do option one. Who votes for option one? Yes. Who votes for option two? Does anybody know definitively which one is correct? Because there is a there is a correct answer to this actually. There is a correct answer to this. Yes. And the correct answer is Haggai. Uh, when you pronounce it in Hebrew, it's Haggai. Two syllables. That's it. It's Haggai. Um, now most of us in the South pronounce it. Haggai, which is not exactly right. It's more Haggai, but uh, you'll hear me say it a lot of different ways as we go through. But it's, we're going to look at Haggai today. Pronounce it, what's that? Five guys. Oh, guys. There you go. I like that. It's pretty good. So, uh, so I'm going to try to show you a point about Bible study by doing things in a very specific order this morning. So let's open up to the book of Haggai. And we're going to read through. It's two chapters long, so I'm going to read the whole thing. And then uh, we'll come back and talk about Haggai. <clears throat> so Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying... So is anybody right off the bat glad I didn't call on them to read this morning? Okay. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought of the land and the mountains on the grain and the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, 
the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat into the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches a bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, if, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. And Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. And when one came to wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th, month of the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Make sense? Now we come to that 2,500 years later, and we read that text and we go, okay. I read that day's daily Bible reading. Right? And, and, and what I want to explain to you and walk through uh, with you today is that context helps. So today is all about context around Haggai so that when we read this again in a few minutes, it begins to make a lot more sense. All right? So uh, the question that's not on your handout, uh, who wrote Haggai? Anybody want to guess? We think. It actually doesn't say, right? If you go back to the first couple of verses, it doesn't say uh, Haggai wrote this letter or wrote this book. We, we think he did, uh, but there are examples of other Old Testament prophets uh, that did not actually write the books that they are known for. So if you think about the order of books in the Hebrew Bible, uh, and I, is this on your handout? It's not on your handout, is it? No. Okay. 
So uh, when they asked Jesus questions in the New Testament about the Scripture, uh, sometimes he would respond and he would talk about Moses and the prophets and the writings. You remember this division? And, and this is not how we display things in our English Bible. So I'll kind of show you where this stuff lives. So this is how they would have taught a, a young Hebrew child uh, the Bible. Uh, and the Bible for them would have been exclusively the Old Testament, right? So you've got the Law of Moses, so the first five books, this is the Torah, the Pentateuch. Then you've got the prophets, and that would be divided up into the former prophets and the latter prophets. Uh, so you've got Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, so before and then the later on in Israeli history. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. And you guys are familiar with the book of the Twelve in your Bibles, right? Then you come to the writings. So you got the poetry, the scrolls, and then the historical books. And they would have been in that order. So the last book of the Old Testament for a Israeli would actually be Chronicles. So my question is, where's Haggai? Was there one part of what I went through that you went, wait, wait, what? The 12, right? Yeah. Haggai's right here in the 12. There were 12 really small prophets that were bundled together on one scroll when they would write them out. And they referred to all 12 prophets as the 12, since they fit literally on one scroll when they would carry them around. So Haggai's in the Old Testament. Now, if you're wondering where Haggai is in your book of the Bible, in the copy that you're holding, this is from my friends at uh, Chalice.org. Uh, I love this. This is like science geeks and theology nerds unite all at once. This is like all the goodness of the structure of the universe coming together in one chart. It is beautiful. Uh, so you've got Old Testament on the left, New Testament on the right. We typically group things by uh, the Pentateuch up here, and then you've got the historical books, and then you've got the wisdom literature, and then you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. And we, we divide the major and minor. Anybody know why? Yeah, some are just really big and some are really small. So it's not because their messages are more important or less important. They're just really long. Like, have you read Ezekiel lately? It takes a while to get through, right? Um, what, do, what are we in in the daily Bible readings right now? We just got through some of the longer prophets, didn't we? Caleb was telling me about it. He's, he's still plugging along. He's getting right there. He's good to go. But Haggai is uh, toward the end of, here, of this uh, section. Now, if you think about where Haggai is in Israeli history, uh, I want you to think about there's a lot of prophets that God sent for a long time to Israel. So God sent prophets to different audiences. He actually sent a couple of the prophets to Gentiles. So Obadiah, Jonah, and Nahum were sent outside of Israel to somebody else calling them to repent. Now, what do we call people who go to another country and tell them to repent? We call them missionaries, right? Yeah, pretty much. So, so there were some Old Testament-ish type missionaries. Not exactly what we would consider that today because they were not going and setting up a local congregation for them to worship and serve God. This would have involved those pagans coming and moving into the land of Israel. But a whole different type of conversion. Uh, there were a couple folks that went to Israel. Now, you, you see I've got Israel and Judah, right? Because the, the 12 tribes had a civil war, and they broke apart. Ten of the tribes were the northern tribes. This is what you typically see referred to as Israel in the Old Testament. And then the two southern tribes were Judah. So if you just look at the volume of prophets that God sent to the north versus the south, which part of the country did he love more? He loved the South. Yes, that's exactly right. Part of the problem, 
part of the problem is that the northern kingdom actually stopped right around in here. The Assyrians came and took them off and scattered them, and that was not the end of those tribes, but it put a significant dent in the population of those tribes. So there were actually uh, a lot more. Now, if you look at the timeline, so you've got 9th century, 8th, 7th, 6th, and 5th, and Haggai comes after the exile. And some of you are going, oh my gosh, this is too early for history. It's okay. Look at the piece of paper on your handout. This makes it a little bit easier. So you've got, you see David and Solomon, and then you see the divided kingdom on the left-hand side. So the kingdom splits into two parts. The top on the part is the northern kingdom. The top on the bottom is the southern kingdom. So you see these different prophets that come to the northern kingdom. You see these prophets that come to the southern kingdom. The orange section toward the end is the exile, and Haggai is right on the end of that, the very end of that exile period. Okay, so one more. Um, let's talk about prophets real quick. So what's a prophet? Anybody know what a prophet is? Yeah, somebody who speaks, right? So we'll call it a mouthpiece who proclaimed the message of God. That's your first blank, I think. So I'm borrowing from Terry Brown at this point. Um, some of you that have ever come to a Wednesday night or a Sunday night service and sat anywhere near me know that I do a couple of things. I write furiously. I'm going as fast as I possibly can uh, because that's uh, how I remember things. And lately, in the last six, nine months or so, I've started just bringing my laptop in since I'm going to convert all this into a digital form anyway. And you'll see me sitting in a sanctuary just going as fast as I can on a laptop. I am not surfing Facebook. Okay. I am writing up notes for the purpose of hopefully teaching this material one day. And this comes, if you look in the upper right-hand corner, I'll show you where all my sources are today. Uh, this is from Terry Brown's information on the minor prophets that he taught back in 2011. So two points for those of us that keep our notes because this is good, because you get the benefit from it now. So a mouthpiece who proclaimed the message of God, a person who called Israel back to the law. So the idea here is that uh, you're, you're trucking along, you're obeying, and then you turn, and then God sends somebody to call you back. And then they go back and they obey, or sometimes they don't. And there's consequences or blessings, and they go forward. And then the third, the, the third bullet here I love is, this is a Terry Brown analogy. Someone who saw the check engine light and delivered a message that we need to stop and pull the car over and examine what God says and go back and do something different. Now, has anybody ever been driving in a car and you saw the check engine light come on and the driver just ignored it? Anybody ever? Every day. Every day. Darling, you'd have met a great Israeli. <laughs> because this is what they did, right? They, they, they saw the scripture, and they said, you know what? We're going to ignore that. We're just going to completely ignore that and go a different way. And the prophets were people that God spoke to and said, they need to hear a message, and the message is come back to the law. Uh, which I think is a great way to describe uh, what a prophet is. Now, so let's talk about fulfillment. Uh, did the prophets know everything that was going to happen in the future? Now, God gave them some idea of what's going to happen in the immediate future. So they would take these messages and they would deliver them, and they had some sense of immediate fulfillment. But the idea was that, uh, and, and you might want to write in your notes Deuteronomy chapter 28, because Deuteronomy 28, if you understand Deuteronomy 28, like 80% of the Old Testament makes sense. Literally. It, if you were going to read through the Old Testament, I would almost recommend you start in Deuteronomy 28 and then go back to Genesis 1. It is that helpful in putting the whole thing in context. Uh, because Deuteronomy 28 talks about if you obey, there's blessing. And if you disobey, there is some type of a punishment. Now, um, there are limits to this, right? 
And, and we understand that the New Testament version of this is you reap what you sow. This is exactly the same type of a concept. The limits to this, if you extended this, you know, any, any philosophy taken to its furthest extreme breaks down. Um, and if you take this to the furthest extreme of, well, if I'm a believer and I know I'm a believer and I'm convinced and I've got, there's evidence that I'm a believer and I disobey God once, he is not going to remove my salvation from me. That would be wrongly taking what this is saying and applying it. So I want to make sure everybody understands that is not what I am saying this morning. Uh, so let's talk about future fulfillment. There is also the prophets would say things that would become true 5, 10, 50, 100, 500, 800 years later that they were not aware of, that God did not give them insight into that. And the best picture I have ever seen on this is a mountain range. Uh, and Terry Brown does this all the time, and I love it. So the prophet, picture yourself, you're the prophet, you're standing right here, and what you see that the message God has given you is this immediate mountain range that's right in front of you, right? And, and you can... you, you maybe see some of the tips of the distant mountain ranges. But the message that God delivers many times for the prophets has to deal with this range and this range and this range and this range. There are waves of fulfillment that will come many times after the life of the prophet is actually over. So the prophet may have an awareness of the short range up close, but he may not understand what is actually going to be happening later on, which, which I think is very powerful because this is one of the reasons why we don't change what God says. God says it for a very specific reason. It can be reasons that are immediate. It can be reasons that are very long-term. This is one of the reasons we don't mess with the Bible. It's one of the reasons I pray every time before I stand up and teach. Help me not mess this up. This is important stuff, right? Okay. So immediate and future fulfillment. Uh, so sometimes, you know, just the tops of the mountains with little understanding between distance between the events. There's a lot of different things here. All right, so where, where did Haggai uh, take place geographically? Uh, where did Haggai take place geographically? Uh, it took place in Jerusalem. So if you think about the Middle East, and you've got the Mediterranean Sea, you've got the Persian Gulf, and all this Middle East area here, Jerusalem is right here. And what would happen is that the Assyrians, remember I talked about the Assyrians took the northern kingdom and scattered them. They took them north over to Nineveh, and then they scattered them, right? And about 100-ish, 150 years later, the Babylonians came, right? You read about this in the book of Daniel, right? And the temple was overthrown, and the holy things were profaned, and, and they go and they take them to Babylon, right? This is considered the exile, the exile in Babylon. When the Jews are allowed to start coming back. This is the post-exile period in Israeli history. This is what this looks like. This is that period in Babylon. This is the period after they've come back from Babylon. Do you think God's people need a word from the Lord after they have just come out of exile? Absolutely. There is a great calling back to things that need to be done. If you keep going, and if you look at... Um, uh, there's actually another wave, but I, I cut it off because that's a different story that I'll teach you about a different prophet one day, but if you go and look up that picture. All right, so where does Haggai take place politically? There were three big, nasty, hairy, awful enemies that the Israelis had 
uh, in the Old Testament. And when I say big, awful, hairy enemies, I'm not talking about the Philistines. The Philistines were a local, small group of thugs compared to these world kingdoms. you got the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. This is an awful graphic that tells a great story. So this upward slope is the rise of the Assyrian power. The downward slope is the fall of the Assyrian power. So you had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Persians. Haggai is at the peak of the Persian power. They are the supreme authority on the earth. Nobody messed with the Persians at that point. Now, Assyria, anybody know what the capital of Assyria was? Jonah went there. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, right. And when we talked about Jonah several years ago, we talked about the, the evil wickedness of the Assyrians and how they had perfected punishment. When they would go in and they would conquer a, a people, they would not just conquer those people. I'm looking around making sure we're good. We're good. We're good. Yep. She won't remember this, so we're good. Okay? They wouldn't just conquer those people. They would conquer those people, and anybody that objected, they would cut them up. Like, all the feet would go in one pile, the legs would go in one pile, the ears would go in one pile, the hands would go in, and they would have outside the gates of the city of Nineveh massive piles of body parts. And the idea here was when you come up in, on Nineveh, you understand you don't mess with Nineveh. Now think about this. The Babylonians took them out. And then the Persians took them out. So we are getting bigger and badder and nastier as we go through history. Now the problem was that the Persian king had so much to deal with, this is amazing, right, that God allowed him to conquer so much of the world that he couldn't be totally consumed with these piddly little Israelis. So when somebody came and said, hey, can we start to go back to our homeland, he was like, yeah, 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 whatever. So they were allowed to go back, which is beautiful. Now. When, he asked, when they asked him that question, they didn't all go back at once. It was a slow trickling, which is why you have prophets staged over a period of 100, 150 years over the post-exilic period because you needed prophets to tell the people, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God, as they were returning back to the land. Does this make sense? You with me? All right, let's keep going. Go to page three of your handout. Yes, this is a beast of a page. Some of you are going, oh my goodness, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. How many, how many of you are geeking out on this page You think it's great? Two? That's awesome. Good. That's two more than I thought there'd be. So let's take a look at this page for just a second. So the United Kingdom, over here on the left, this is not uh, Tony Blair and his stuff. This is like Old Testament stuff, right? So you got Saul, the first king, David, the next king, Solomon, the next king. You see the split that we've already talked about? So the green line at the top is the northern kingdom. That yellow line at the bottom is the southern kingdom. You see how the southern kingdom extends much further along? It's because it lasted for much farther. That light blue, I don't know what color that is. What's that? Light blue. Light blue? Great. Yes. All right. I know like five colors. This makes me happy. Is the 70-year captivity... Uh, I want you to notice what happens right after that. See the 538, the decree to return? And then just below that, the 536 B.C., the temple is what? Started, right? They start restoring the temple because you can't do the Old Testament law without the temple. It doesn't work. 
You don't have the stuff you need. One of the beautiful things about the New Testament model of the church is you can do church anywhere. You don't have to have a certain type of building. You don't have to have a certain type of seats. You don't have to have a certain type of roof. You don't have to have a certain type of walls. You just need people, which is wonderful. The Old Testament was not that way. You had to have a temple, and it had to look a certain way. It had to be a certain size. It had to have a certain components. It had to have certain people that took care of it. And they had to wear certain... I mean, it was a lot of rules around how you were to worship God. And the temple had been neglected and destroyed earlier. So they had to get started on the temple. But they got started on the temple, the Jews did, that were coming back, and the Samaritans... Remember the Samaritans, the mixed race folks, came in and said, no, 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 y'all don't need to focus on this. You need to focus on your homes. You should build up your homes first, and then we'll come back and we'll take care of God's house. So that's why you see this gap between the temple started and the temple finished, because it really didn't take them that long to restore the temple. They sat silent for 14 years and did nothing. Which is where Haggai shows up. So, Dave, can we hit the video for me? Now, I'm going to give you a resource. I want you to circle the Bible Project video. Some of you have seen these online. These are fantastic videos. They are free. You can download them. I would encourage you to watch them. Watch them with your kids. But they are great resources uh, for us to understand the Old Testament. So we're going to watch this one now. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope, and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem, where God's presence would live in their midst. Now, when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian Empire has recently collapsed, and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now, they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so, under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra, chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high, and the future seems very bright, but it's not, actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so, yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people, were provoked by Haggai's message, and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. 
So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later, and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple Solomon built here some 500 years earlier. And so morale was really low for finishing the project. And so Haggai reminds the people of the great prophetic promises of the future kingdom of God and about this temple. He draws from the earlier prophets, especially Isaiah and Micah, about the new Jerusalem and that it would be the place from which God would redeem the whole world and where all nations would come and participate in God's kingdom, resulting in an era of peace. And so the temple, it plays a key role in God's plans for the future. And Haggai calls on the people to work in hope, despite the disappointing circumstances. In the third section, Haggai follows up two months later with a call to covenant faithfulness. And he engages some priests in a conversation about ritual purity. Remember all the key ideas from the book of Leviticus. So he says, if someone goes and touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure or marked by death, and then they go and touch some food, is that food impure too? And the priests, knowing the book of Leviticus, say, yes, it's impure. And then Haggai turns this into a parable. He says, this is how it is with the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves, if they don't turn from injustice and apathy, then Haggai says whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, will be impure too. Haggai's challenge is that it's only by true repentance and covenant faithfulness that their building efforts will result in God bringing his kingdom and blessing. And so, in a sense, Israel's future lay in their hands. God's waiting for his people to be faithful. And so the choice that Haggai's laying before the exiled generation, it's very similar to the challenge Moses gave the wilderness generation before entering the land. Their obedience will lead to blessing and success, while faithlessness will lead to ruin. The book concludes with Haggai's summary of the future hope of God's kingdom. He's going to make the new Jerusalem the center of his glorious international kingdom. And from there, he will confront and defeat evil among the nations. He reminds people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God will fulfill here his promise to David and establish the king from his line. And in Haggai's day, that was represented by Zerubbabel. And so the book ends with the choice of a bright future just hanging there. So the question is, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? Will they experience the fulfillment of all these promises? And Zerubbabel, will he be faithful? Will he turn out to be the Messianic king? And you have to just keep reading into the final two books of the prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, to find out. But you can see how this little book contains a great challenge to every generation of God's people, that our choices really matter, and that the faithfulness and obedience of God's people is part of how God has chosen to work out his purposes in the world. And so this surprising truth should motivate humility and action in God's people as they look forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. So was that cool or what? They have one of these for every book of the Old Testament, and they've almost finished the New Testament at this point. They also, uh, if you... So kudos to Dave Barber for just being like smooth and fluid, and thank you for that. Um, he's got more wires hooked up back there. I, I went over there and stood before Sunday school started this morning, I thought, I'm going to electrocute myself if I touch any of this. So I'm not. Um, yeah. But they have high-quality graphics like this that are also available for free for download. So it's just really, really good. Uh, some of you have gone through Gary's uh, Route 66, the 
the one picture for each book of the Bible. So this is that on steroids, right? Like really, really specked out the whole nine yards, which I think is just fantastic. So uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy, and I'm excited about doing more of these. Uh, but it's the Bible Project. Uh, it says their website is jointhebibleproject.com. So I was going to read Haggai again right now and see if it made more sense as we read it now that we have some measure of context. I'm going to bet that you would say yes. yes. All right. So a couple of points here. Uh, so what is Haggai about? Well, it's about four prophecies. Remember the four big squares? They weren't really squares. Four rectangles. We'll call them rectangles. My math brain hurts when I misidentify shapes like that. So there's one prophecy in the first chapter, and then there's three more prophecies in the second chapter. Uh, the, the whole book is only about three and a half months long, uh, which is shockingly fast for an Old Testament book because the Israelites just didn't obey that fast. Right? Most of the time there was, a, there was a prophet that stood up and he called them to repentance, and it was months and months and months and months and months and months and years later, and yay, they finally decided to obey. This is very quick obedience on the, the side of the Israelites here. Uh, so if you're looking for a good example of quick response to God's word, it's the people of Israel during the time of Haggai. Uh, Haggai is also about prioritization. It's a hard word to spell, but it's a good word. Um, prioritization, which is the idea of, you know, do I obey God's command and make sure that we can worship him appropriately, or do I take care of my own backyard first? And it's, a, it's an interesting question to ask, uh, and I would encourage us to ask it uh, quite often. Uh, I think Haggai is also about cheerleading, because uh, Haggai does a lot of cheerleading. If you read Haggai and compare him to the other Old Testament prophets, he's like the nicest guy ever, right? Because there was no mention of uh, uh, slavery. There was no mention of death and destruction. There was no mention of, you know, your children are going to burn. I mean, it was just, he's a really nice guy. So he has a very cheerleading component to him. Uh, the interesting thing is that some of the older uh, English commentaries don't like Haggai because they thought he was a pansy. He was, he was taking it too easy on God's people. And the reality is he was saying what God told him to say. And at that time, remember our timeline, coming right off of an exile, you might not need to be beaten down. You might need a little bit of encouragement. So I'm going to default to the side that God knew both the word and the tone to communicate to his people and that Haggai was the right guy for the job. Uh, and then it also talks about a future hope, right? So there's a future hope. Uh, and Zerubbabel thinks he's going to be like it at the end of Haggai because God has said Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. And the reality is Zerubbabel is a type of Christ, that there is someone greater in the line of David who is going to come and to rule and to reign. So... Uh, what's the application? Well, context matters, right? Uh, in my notes, I have uh, Haggai with no context makes little sense, but I really want us to think about studying before we read Scripture, studying while we read Scripture, and studying after we read Scripture so that we get context and we understand what is going on. Uh, I think service matters, you know, because we can, we can go and learn about Haggai and do nothing with it and be exactly like the people that Haggai was talking about. They knew God's word, they knew what the expectations were, and they did nothing about it. Uh, I also think it's interesting that who was, the, who was the government in charge at this time? Remember? The Assyrians and the Babylonians and the, the Persians, right? The Persians were in charge, and obedience was still required despite a non-religious 
government. And I feel like this is going to be important in the future. So as I was reading through Haggai over and over and over and over again, it was a, I think we're, I think we're drilling into this idea that it doesn't matter what the governmental structure is, obedience to God is still required. And I think that is a message that resonates very, very deeply. So, so what's the personalization study uh, before, during, and after reading Scripture? Uh, and then encourage people to obey Scripture. Look around, get involved, and serve. Uh, there is much, much, much work to be done, uh, and I think Haggai is a great example of that. So we'll spend the next uh, five weeks going through the different components, the different big sections of Haggai. Uh, we'll spend two weeks on that first prophecy and then one week on each one of the remaining three, uh, and I am looking forward to Haggai. And now we know how to say it, right? Which is good. So uh, thanks for coming to Sunday School today. You've got a weekly update at the center of your table there. Um, I would encourage you to read over those prayer requests. Uh, Stick around. You are dismissed after you have prayed as a table. Uh, And thanks for coming today.